Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. We have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. Joining us on the other side of the mic is the one and only Marco Santori, Chief Legal Officer at Kraken. Today we're going to be discussing the crackdown that has gripped the market, as it were. Recent headlines about Kraken's staking program here in the U.S. But before we dive into that and much more, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high-integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Marco, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been it's been way too long. I think the last time we spoke on the show was in 2019, right before wow. COVID. I'm pretty sure we were in our old office. Yeah, it feels like almost a lifetime ago, and it feels like the regulatory environment has only gotten more confusing and complex and scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of lawyers, uh, a lot of lawyers put to work. That's for sure. Um, we're in a we're in a very weird place right now. A lot of this harkens back to 2013, like. Very, very heavy 2013 vibes here. Uh, bank accounts in question, regulatory uncertainty. We all seem to be trending in the right direction um, at the beginning of last year. And now, <laughs> now we're all back to asking the same questions we were 10 years ago. Can we get bank accounts? What is the right regulator for the space? Will there be new law? Yeah, what goes around comes around. You got to take the rough with the smooth, as my grandmother would say. I was speaking with Dan at CMS. Yeah, we were talking about those days, 2014, if it keeps going in the wrong direction from a, I mean, this is going out of the regulatory sphere and more into the banking arena. 
you're going to be in a situation where is it possible where crypto exchanges can't accept, you know, credit card, debit card transactions at, at some point. But before we get into the the banking situation, give us a rundown of, of how the staking program sort of came under the ire of the SEC. What sort of could you guys have done to maybe avoid that? Was there some aspect of the design of the program that sort of made it more um, vulnerable to um, the agency? How much can you share on that? Yeah, I'm pretty limited in what I can share. Um, I should say at the outset that Kraken uh, neither neither admits nor denies any of the allegations in the complaint. That's, that's part of the talismanic uh, language we have to recite under the complaint. And it's true, we can't uh, admit nor deny, which pretty, pretty curtails a lot of what we can talk about. We'll say that. Well, so has it impacted, you know, moving forward Kraken's business? How do you come out of something like that? What What's the game plan? Yeah, so to level set, I mean, the staking was, uh, you know, small single digits of our revenue uh, here in the U.S., um, which isn't to say that we we don't want to have a staking program in the U.S., but in terms of you know our our global financial outlook, it, it doesn't it doesn't register. Um, it does, of course, affect pretty dramatically our product mix in the U.S. It it affects what we can offer U.S. users and what U.S. users can get from a U.S. exchange that is regulated and within the oversight of uh, a number of U.S. regulators um, versus what they have to go offshore to get to an offshore unregulated exchange that does God knows what with their money. Uh, it's really indicative of a, of a pretty unfortunate situation here stateside. We've got a regulatory environment that is essentially forcing users off to use offshore exchanges that will gladly accept their business with so little as a VPN. So what's the what's the future of crypto here in the United States in your view? Is it is it just limited services that exchanges can offer? Will we see delistings of a wide range of assets? Will we see them lose all of their banking partners and and have those off-ramps and on-ramps cut off? Well, I'll take those in reverse. So what we expect is this return to the chilly times of 2013, where Operation Choke Point 1.0, this, this is a decade ago, right? So Operation Choke Point 1.0 is still, still in full effect uh, and capturing crypto companies. It's probably 1.0 is still in effect today and overlaid to a certain extent um, with these 2.0 issues. But yeah, we're really looking at what life was like back in 2013, where if you ran a, a morally suspect business like, oh gosh, marijuana sales or check cashers or uh, sex workers, uh, you can expect crypto to be looped in with that, with that seedy company, <laughs> as uh, much of the establishment would say. Um, and so I think that banks are going to be uh, we're, we're returning to an era, I should say, where banks are going to be very cautious as to what accounts they open. I don't think we're going to see a lot of new accounts. Unfortunately, I think we're going to see uh, the benefits 
uh, of all of this flow as usual to incumbents. Folks who already have power, people who already have accounts uh, are going to be able to keep operating and those innovators who want to start new businesses um, are going to be shut out. Mm. From Kraken's perspective, um, are your banking relationships secure? They are. They are. Kraken's, Kraken's relationships are secure. Kraken has a diversified uh, group of banks all around the world, uh, including in places that are not the U.S., uh, places where the banking system is operating pretty darn well uh, for crypto companies and for innovators, which is a weird thing to say. You know, we're used to having the most efficient and the most uh, robust banking system in the world. But I don't think we can say that today as compared to the rest of the world. Mm. So Kraken has a diverse set of banks that we continually monitor and work closely with. So we're, we're, we're in pretty good shape. But I don't think others are. I mean, this is, this is part of the problem that I want to articulate. There's just there's so many people who are trying to get access that aren't going to be able to get access because of the bad acts of a few players. Mm, and you think it's all tied back to the fallout of FTX? It's like an overreaction to that. Yeah, I think FTX really shook the landscape. It shortened the fuse on a lot of discussions that were going to improve the state of crypto in the U.S. It shortened the fuse on a lot of initiatives that were already underway. It cut off the ability of Congress to introduce new legislation that would push things forward quickly. It, it really did shake the table. It really did shake the table. It uh, reminded me of, uh, again, the future rhymes with the past. It reminded me a lot of Gox. I was around for Gox. I don't know how, but I managed not to lose a dime um, in Gox. But in terms of the market effects of it, the ripple effects, the consequences, if for those of you who weren't around back then, this is, this, is, this is what it was like. I think it was a little bit worse then. Um, we just have more to lose now. And that's, that's the feeling, that's that, that's that sinking feeling, that feeling in the pit of your stomach that you probably feel whenever you look at the news and you read about what's happened post-FTX. And do you think that this is a coordinated crackdown? There's definitely not some anti-crypto group that meets every week <laughs> in some shadowy room in D.C. But there are a group of regulators who happen to all feel roughly the same way about crypto, that what it is today is what it forever will be. That's the key. It's not that regulators hate crypto or that they're trying to defend the banks. It's not that they're, they believe in fiat supremacy. They don't actually have, in, in my experience, solely in my experience, they don't have these conspiratorial opinions or motives. I think they just believe basically in one fundamental thing, that what crypto is today is what's important and what it will be or could be in the future is really not. And so we need to regulate it like what it is today with little regard to what it could be in the future. And from their perspective, from their seat, they are used to seeing people trying to turn their dollars into more dollars. And so what they expect to see, and lo and behold, what they do see through their filter is just people trying to turn their dollars into more dollars 
They see speculation. They don't see the future. And, and so their knee-jerk reaction is to regulate this as it is today and as they see it, um, which is really the worst thing for crypto in the long term. Regulation like a financial asset, like, a, like, a, like an investment in the U.S., has a funny way of ensuring things stay that way for a very long time. The securities example is, uh, you know, the question of whether an asset is a security is a great example of that. Do you think that this crackdown can emerge as an election issue? It absolutely is an election issue currently at the congressional level. There's no question it is. But what you're probably asking about is whether in the presidential election, the one that gets all the headlines, the one that has viewership, the national level debates, are we going to see a question about crypto? I think so. I think it's very likely. I think it's very likely. Sure, it's easy to live in our little microcosm, but frankly, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet with all the headlines that crypto has gotten. What it comes down to is timing. Right, far far smaller issues in terms of emotional impact, in terms of financial impact, have made their way to the debate stage because they happen at the right time. So, um, if we experience a, a dramatic bull market right around the debates, I think we'll see a question. If we experience um, another FTX or another Gox right around the time of the debates, I think it'll become an issue. But I got to tell you, I'm surprised it hasn't been already with this sort of weekly drumbeat of crazy news that comes out of our industry. It was brought up during the um, New York gubernatorial debate last year around the issue of mining in upstate New York. I was, I was very surprised. That makes sense, right? Because at that time, that's, that's when that bill was live. That's when there was a lot of lobbying going on over that bill. Um, if we have something similar come up on the national stage uh, next year, then I expect we'll see similar press treatment, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question of where that crest of the press wave lands. I don't have to tell you. You know, it's funny to me, over the past five years or so covering this space, the question of the degree to which the long tail of crypto coins or currencies, tokens or, or securities has been a cloud looming over the space. But you haven't seen that many enforcement actions. I mean, Ripple's kind of the big one that you've seen, and that still hasn't shaken out. Are we ever going to get to a point at which, I mean, whether it's through clarity, regulatory clarity, or through enforcement, that we we finally get a sense of just how many of these are our securities and their view, or are we just going to continue to, you know, navigate in this uncertain, murky water? And at what point do you think exchanges to, to cover their, their hind will just delist or, you know, move offshore, whatever it might be. But I, I just find it funny that we still, you know, after multiple different chairs have said all of these assets are securities nothing's really changed we're still listing more there's still more token launches and the drum keeps getting beat i don't know if there's a question in there it's just strange yeah. to me like you think it's slowed down they keep saying all of these are securities and there's just more tokens <laughs> look i think that so i 
I have my own views on what will happen to the Cambrian explosion of tokens we've seen over the last few years. I think it'll have almost nothing to do with the law and everything to do with their viability as things that people want to use. But looking at the regulatory issues specifically, the exchanges are not, not going to undergo mass delistings without some regulatory clarity. That's just, I mean, that's just uh, axiomatic of the business, right? Securities regulators have expressed discomfort with a lot of elements of this industry. Chair Clayton, right, famously declared ICOs by and large to be securities. I famously <laughs> or infamously or not famously <laughs> at all, perhaps, uh, in, in the long uh, tale of history, declared ICOs to create securities-like relationships between buyers and sellers. I stopped short of saying the tokens, uh, the assets that the, uh, the ancillary assets that come out of those sales were securities, because I don't think that they are in most cases. But there's a lot of people, myself included, who have said like some element of this creates securities. I think that now the phenomenon you're experiencing is actually like a political one. So many people mm. are paying attention to crypto now that you need as a speaker in this space to capture their attention and to make sense to them. You need a broader statement. There's just more people listening. You have to say something that more people can understand. So we can't talk about the distinction between um, the sale of an asset and the asset itself without alienating a huge chunk of people who don't know what the difference is. You can't talk about the difference between an asset where the issuer sells the asset to the public versus just sells to accredited investors. You can't talk about the distinction between keeping a treasury and selling to the public. You can't do that. All, all you can really say to really get the political impact you want is, I think all these things are securities. Boom. Clean. Easy. Mm -hmm. Approachable. Easy to understand from the now hundreds of millions of people paying attention. So you've seen a, a change in the rhetoric from regulators uh, who are at bottom trying to regulate the crypto space. And that's why you've, you had Jay Clayton talking about how all ICOs are securities. ICOs being a specific term of art that all the people who were listening knew what they were. Contrast that with what we have Gary Gensler saying, which is all these tokens, all these cryptos are securities. That is a, a much more colloquial message, a much less mm. specific message for a much broader audience. So not to be all Noam Chomsky about it, but like that, that's really what's, what's going on around the messaging. It's really not much has changed except the size of the audience. If anything, <laughs> you got to be bullish about that. 
The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch as hand, it's final. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. I think Coinbase had that survey come out the other day that suggested 20% of American adults own crypto. And I was like, geez, sounds, sounds like we're not that early, but we're certainly in some sort of midst of what Nick Carter is describing as Operation Choke Point 2.0. Did you read that blog that he put out? I did. What were your thoughts? I mean, if, in terms of, are we going to go back to when basically, you know, you would set up these low to mid-tier banks, you'd get the relationship, then they'd figure out that you do crypto or maybe the KYC gets too complicated for them and they debank you, and then you go to another, you know, small to mid-tier bank, and and just play that game of whack-a-mole. Is that is that where we're heading? Is it just going to continue to to choke people out, or will banks stand by their clients? You know, like a Coinbase, J.P. Morgan, et cetera. We're a place now where regulators, by and large, have asked. Uh, I should say, banking regulators. So we're talking about the Fed and the FDIC. Uh, the OCC to a certain extent, but mostly the functional regulators uh, and the prudential regulators have told their banks, don't do anything new with crypto. Let's get a beat on what is happening right now. And I think that that is different than what we saw in 2013. 
it has the potential to be transient if you're an optimist. Mm. It has a potential to change with the political whims. But now it's the consequence of bad press, right, around FTX. It's the consequence of real risk that um, the banking system seems to be facing from some banks who may have been, I mean, we don't know all the facts yet, but who may have been cavalier about lending and didn't really understand their lending partners, didn't understand uh, their borrowers. They didn't know it was just Kyle and Sue. It was all <laughs> Kyle and Sue. One thing's for sure, though, it's not an account holder problem. It's not like a current account holder problem. The current account holders have demonstrably created no risk to the banking system. No, I should say, at least no outside risk, right? Every account mm. has risk, but have created demonstrably no outsized risk to the banking system over the course of the last 10 years. And we, we have that track record. I can only hope that after this sort of pause gets uh, thought about a little bit more, gets investigated, that's one of the elements of this that comes out. That yeah, lending could have been bad, left unchecked. But I think that's because for those banks that were burned by lending, they didn't really understand the risks they were facing uh, with their borrowers. How bad can it get if, if Signature pulls out completely? I feel like that's a lingering concern. So Signature is not the only bank left. That's certainly the case. I try not to try not to traffic in worst case scenarios because they they often make good headlines, but they usually make poor predictors of the future. Mm -hmm. I think there are there are there are there are still banks, but I think that the those who will be hardest hit are yeah, they're just not going to take on new clients. It's the new clients. It's like Coinbase and Kraken are. It's not fair. It's not appropriate. It's it's un-American. But it's, it's the perverse consequence of knee-jerk regulation. The incumbents tend to win. And the more of an incumbent you are, the more you'll win. Right? Wall Street is going to be fine. Kraken and Coinbase are going to be okay. But the guy or gal who has a new idea about how to provide infrastructure to the crypto economy is going to be SOL. It's going to be a really tough road over the next few years for that. No question. Just going back to, to staking, is there a way in which you can relaunch staking for retail? Is, is that in the works? Like I said, there's only so much I can talk about um, staking. We currently offer staking globally outside of the U.S. Uh, there are obviously some countries we can't offer it in, but by and large, we offer on-chain staking outside of the United States. So if you want to stake your coins, you can go to kraken.com outside of the U.S. and other select jurisdictions, and, and you can do that. And you can still put your coins to work, securing those networks, validating transactions. You can be a part of the networks themselves, which I think is really compelling for a lot of people, and it ought to be. It's part of what got me into, into Bitcoin back in 2012, mining. Mm-hmm. As far as Kraken's future, we you know we can never talk too much about um, products that that we expect to launch and our product roadmap. But I will say that the judgment didn't say Kraken can never launch a staking product ever again, right? Mm -hmm. That was that was not the content of the judgment. That was not what Kraken specifically negotiated for. 
in the judgment. The judgment called out two specific entities within Kraken's global footprint and said that those entities, again, just speaking colloquially, the judgment speaks for itself, but just that those two entities cannot offer staking securities. Mm. So I'll tell you one thing. We do not view that as saying Kraken can never offer staking ever again. Mm-hmm. And neither would you on a cold read. Neither would anybody on a cold read. And certainly it wasn't the our intent. We don't believe it was the SEC's intent either, though I wouldn't speak for them. We don't believe it was uh, the SEC's intent. So, yeah, there are, are limitations without a doubt. There will be limitations. But we don't think the judgment prohibits us from ever offering staking ever again. Which is at least one silver lining in terms of the SEC's impression of staking is not bad. It's sort of how you maybe bundle it up or offer it to clients, which is funny because I feel like DeFi was the big concern. If we harken back to the days in which Sam Bankman-Fried was not in his situation, the, the big concern was about DeFi front ends being regulated or sort of closed off or you know hindered in some way by by regulators and it's really the centralized venues that are getting getting hit and it seems like these these defi protocols haven't necessarily at least at this point um, found themselves in any type of similar situations do you think that's to come or do you think that you know not again not to speak for them but just your impression do they maybe view DeFi as, as more favorable than firms like a Kraken? <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. It's rare you'll get a, a clear and definitive statement <laughs> out of a lawyer, but uh, this is a real good opportunity to say absolutely not. Uh, no. This is the nature of litigation, right? You get the settlements where you can as a regulator. Otherwise, you fight. And the fights take a long, long time time. How long has Ripple been in litigation? I mean, Brad knows. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Years, right? Yeah. Um, Since 2020 or 2019? Yeah, it was It was Clayton's uh, final act. Um, <laughs> final act as chairman clearing that lawsuit. So li- the litigation takes a long time when the parties choose to fight. The settlements only happen where uh, you know the parties can only reach common terms, so you'll, you're you're never gonna see settlements on bet the company issues. It just like it's not it's non-existent, right? If the SEC went to Coinbase and said we think you're a national securities exchange, either settle now for some fraction of that or go to trial, like, it, it 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 doesn't make sense, right? There's there's no fraction of a bet the company issue, like. Either Coinbase is a national securities exchange or they're not. And they'd fight that. You know, I don't have to be Coinbase's lawyer to tell you they, they, would, they would fight that. That is, a, that is a systemic bet the company issue. So you're not going to see a settlement around that. That's the same thing that the DeFi companies are facing. It's the very same thing that, that those companies are facing. Um, a lot of them are built such that the front ends are the only real viable business model for the companies involved. Not all of them are. Mm. Some of them are. I don't think the SEC likes them more more than they like staking programs. I think that 
those are bet the company fights. Whereas staking is one of about a dozen products that the large exchanges offer. So you're more likely to see settlements there where the company just wants to get on with its business. And if it can't offer one out of 12 products, it will be worse off as a going concern, but it'll be okay. You don't see that with, with the DeFi companies if they aren't companies, the foundations, right? Their reason for being is what the SEC is after. The SEC is cutting to the core of what they do. It's part of why, why you see Custodia fighting the Fed today and you don't see us fighting the Fed. It's just uh, a difference in incentives. How's all this impacted Kraken's own efforts to build out a bank? Um, actually, we proceed apace. Our bank is launching. We've made uh, significant progress over the last couple of years. It turns out it takes quite a bit of time to build a de novo bank uh, with a de novo charter. And it is a massively parallel process, which is part of the challenge, right? Kraken isn't super interested in launching a one-state bank and then a two-state bank and mm-hmm. then a four-state bank, right? We want to be able to we want to be able to launch with the most impact that we can. Uh, Kraken Bank is very much on track to launch very soon, actually, and our team will probably be in touch with your team on that point. That's great. Yeah, we're going to have those pens with the little ball chains. Are you really? Yeah, we're going to do it. <laughs> we're going to do. We're going to order thousands of them <laughs> and, <laughs> and attach them to the to the to the desks of uh, Wall Street banks everywhere. Well, what else are you excited about? We can close out with maybe something more optimistic. <laughs> I got to tell you, um, I am uh, really excited about functional NFTs. I, mm. I, I continue to be uh, possessed by this notion. On YouTube, there's this ancient interview that I did where I was talking about colored coins, which was a thing back in the day. And I wish I could scrub it because I, I, I sound like such a noob. I still, um, I still retain that energy uh, and that passion about the future of NFTs. I'm, I'm not that passionate about drawings of monkeys. I understand why people like collectible NFTs. I'll say I'm certainly uh, not someone that gets his hair blown back by them. Yeah. But I am really interested in um, the different applications of NFTs that we're seeing today, uh, memberships. In particular, there's this, uh, the online country club, uh, Friends with Benefits, uh, mm-hmm. with a provocative name, right? Friend, friend, mm-hmm. Friends with Benefits. I'm really, really interested in all of the boring applications of a decentralized network supporting the free associations of people mm. uh, for something as silly as like, nightclub admission to something as important as complex financial arrangements between between people. I think functional NFTs are something that continues to possess me. Kraken launched an NFT platform. You can buy, sell, and trade NFTs on Kraken today. And we built that platform with an eye toward these functional uses of NFTs. So we think we're going to be very well positioned to be able to 
support them better than the competition in the future because that's where we that's where we see the value that's where we saw the value when we were building um, as much as we think board apes are cool uh, there's more to it than that and i continue to be bullish and very long that technology well said well marco thanks for taking the time to come on the show today frank thanks for having me this is always fun it's my pleasure where can we learn more about you and follow you there's the twitter bird app as they call it <laughs> have been tweeting as much lately um i should get back into it maybe if you give me a retweet or two uh, it'll it'll uh it'll kick you back into action it'll jumpstart jumpstart my twitter career no you you know it's, it's good to get away you can you can find me on twitter i'm uh m santori esq and maybe after this i'll start tweeting a little bit more i used to tweet all the time man those are the days the heady days the Hasleyon glow of of your. Thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.